This is a wee bit of everything. The podcast that explores all things sport and teaching. Hello there and welcome to the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast with your hosts Lewis and Clark. Thanks for coming back to tune in to this week's episode. We really are amazed by all the support we have received from everyone so far. Our partner of the podcast is Premiership Experience who have played a big role in helping us develop. Premiership Experience offer fantastic sports tours within the UK and abroad so be sure to check them out on Twitter at Prem Experience. This is a professional learning platform where we get ideas and insights from like-minded professionals. Our vision is to inspire, to teach and to entertain. So let's get started with this week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. Well, that's us into the next lot of episodes. Mr Burrow hitting the 90s on tonight's episode. Um, Another one of the new series that we're doing with regards to different perspectives on PE. This time we've got Mo Jaffer on speaking about non-linear pedagogy, which we're going to find more more out about in tonight's episode. Mo's on tonight to talk about kind of all things PE from his way finding exploits, complex challenges facing PE, and also about his own journey in PE as well. Um, so we'll find out a wee bit of everything as our podcast suggests. And um, tonight's episode is going to be about his kind of perspective on PE. So, Mr. Burrow, do you want to give the listeners a wee brief rundown about what we're going to, going to ask Mo tonight and what they can expect from tonight's episode? The podcast is back. What was it you were saying the best thing about the 90s, sir? That's isn't the episode 90. The best thing about the 90s? Aye, what was it we were saying just before we started recording there? We were born. We we were born then. Aye, we were born. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we march on in in the 90s. Mo Mo Jafar is head of PE in an all-boys school in East London, and he's on tonight to talk about non-linear pedagogy which will be the central focus for tonight's episode and also talking a wee bit about what the complex challenges are facing a subject post-covid um we're going to hear a wee bit about his wayfinding exploits as well and he also writes a blog on the pe curriculum in england so we'll find out a wee bit about that and also finally on what makes a high quality PE lesson which is always an interesting uh, discussion to finish off the main part of the episode so We'll get him on the show. Hi, Mo. Welcome to the Wee Bit of Everything podcast. How, how are you? Yeah, cheers, Clark. Cheers, Lewis. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, really good. Thank you. Really, really good. Had a good day. You've been busy. Yeah, I've had... Um, so I trained the um, the teachers in my borough, so I've had a, a training session with them today and we, we did a little bit of work. Uh, had a couple of lessons and, and then after school club as well. So yeah, been busy, but no, it's been good today. Is that just good the stuff. PE teachers? Yeah, just the PE teachers. So it's kind of like a teacher training partnership nice. um, and I've got three trainees. Is that within, just within your school or? Uh, so no, they're, they're based in the borough of Havering. So I'm, I work oh, in a school in Havering, but I sort of, I'm the subject lead for those three. Right. Um, so basically they do, they come with, to me for every two, uh, two hours, every two weeks. And we, uh, we do good. some theory, we do some practical. That's good. Sounds good. Um, well, thanks a lot for joining us today. Uh, share your, your knowledge and experience as a PE teacher and as a, PE lead as well. Um, before we get into the main part of the episode, would you be able to give us a, a brief rundown on your career to date? Yeah, so I, um, I came into PE teaching sort of through the back door. So I started um, as, a, as a coach. I, long story short, I failed a module in second year uni, um, as you do sometimes when you're uh, distracted with other things. And um, I've decided to go part-time and I had a friend who worked for West Ham Foundation or West Ham in the community. Um, and I just did some volunteer work there. So I ended up coaching in lots of schools in, in Newham, in Essex, uh, Tower Hamlets. Um, yeah, and then I ended up getting to a school in Chadwell Heath, coaching in the school. So I was taking like the year nine football team. Um, and I used to do some sort of healthy lifestyle bits and bobs with, with a, a group, the Princess Trust. Right. Um, and then I ended up becoming a learning mentor because um, I worked with a fantastic group of ladies who are basically my work mums and I still speak to them now. So, and that was almost 12 years ago. Um, so yeah, I was a learning mentor, uh, but unqualified PE teacher. So they gave me some bits of PE, finally got myself qualified 
and I was at UEL. And then um, I became a head of year. So I was literally after my first year of teaching, second year of teaching, actually, I was in QT. The, the next year, I was a head of year for three years. Um, so that was that was really interesting. Learned a lot, but it took a long, it took a, it took a big toll on me. Mm-hmm. Um, time wise and, and also I, I love PE I wanted to be back in PE so I went back to PE um, schools are funny sometimes when you drop um, when you drop leadership roles so they, they put me in science for 10 hours and geography for 2 hours and then 6 six hours of PE and I was like I don't think I can stay here and do, do this for the next 10 years so luckily a job popped up at a, a great school in, in Montford for Royal, Royal Liberty and I applied for it and, and managed to get subject lead and that was 4 years ago um, so that's where I am at the moment as head of PE at Royal Liberty. Um, and as I just said to you at the beginning, I'm also the subject lead for PE behaving teacher training partnership. A little bit of an exclusive for you as well, but I'm actually moving roles. Uh, so after Easter, I'll actually be going to lecturing. I, I've got an appointment at the University of East London as lecturing in PE sport and development. So oh, well nice. done. yeah, full circle. Brilliant. Um, back to, to the university. So, yeah, that's a, it's a worldwide exclusive for you there, boys. Uh, amazing. <laughs> what was I going to say there? See, like, doing your, your NQT year and then going straight into that leadership role, like, how prepared did you feel you were for that? Did you have any sort of, like, training prior to getting into that or did you just get thrown into it almost? No, I, um, I, I, I asked someone, so I asked a good friend who was a, a assistant head and said, do you think I've got a chance if I went for it? Because I thought... Uh, I thought I'd get on quite well at school. I'd been there a while, even though I was an NQT, I'd actually been there longer because I'd been an unqualified, I'd been a learning mentor. So I'd dealt with a lot of the kids in different ways. And I also had, I felt like I had a good understanding of the school because I had different roles I've had. So I thought, I've got nothing to lose, I'll go for the experience. And, and someone said, yeah, well, why not? Um, and then literally when I got it, I was like, I was shaking, I remember I was like, I was glad yeah, I've actually got it. <laughs> but I was quite, you're quite proud of yourself as well. But then it, it, that was it. I was back thrown into it. And you, you, with that job, you just have to do it. And you learn it along the way. You, you, I was obviously line managed, but I was also line managing eight members of staff. I was line managing two heads of departments. Um, yeah, that's the thing that I think must be so challenging. Like, it's such a, like so what, how old were you when you did that? Oh, 10 years ago. Uh, I was... 25. 25. That's, that's a tough gig. That takes a bit of guts to, to step up and do that and be line managing, obviously, eight, mem- eight members of staff. Yeah, eight, eight form tutors I had. And just, you can just imagine, like, a, a young guy <laughs> in there and then, if they, obviously, like, what people must be thinking and saying and, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, having to do all those sorts of things as well. So, no, fair play to you. That seems like a, a tough gig. One, one thing what really set me east straight away is one of the heads of departments said to me, like, I like... I like you because you tell me when I've done stuff or when I haven't done stuff. Uh-huh. So I think if I'd have pussyfooted around and been like, oh, actually, you're older than me, you're more experienced than me and not sort yeah. of like um, sort of help people to account, then I think I would have been, it would have been worse. I think people would have not respected me. But because I did, and yeah. I'm normally pretty good at talking to people. I'll talk to everyone. I'm mm-hmm. quite happy to. So I think that helped. But you're right. Yeah, it was a bit daunting. <laughs> yeah, I suppose <laughs> if you've got that personality and you're able to do that, then it's... Mm-hmm. I suppose once you're, as you say, once you're in the job, then you just work out on a day-to-day basis, and you probably, probably, you probably done a fine job, I'm sure. You just kind of learn. Well, you, you got, you got no, you got no choice. Like you say, yeah. exactly like, like, like you, you have to do it. When these emails pop into your inbox, and parents are emailing you and ringing you, and senior leadership team ask you to do this task, that task. Yeah, you, you learn to survive definitely. Mm. A juggling act. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? So see, the learning mentor is that. You as a student teacher, is that someone that's been a student teacher? Oh, so a learning mentor is um, basically I would work with small groups of, ch- of children. So mostly around behaviour it used to be. Right. So, um, yeah, 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 exactly. So I'd be either one-to-one or, or with small groups. Um, yeah, okay. So I got to work with like the pupil that's causing you the biggest problem in your class. I was working with them one-on-one, right. um, working on sort of reframing, like finding what are their barriers to learning, um, working with the parent as well so yeah I spent a lot of time in like really big meetings in the first year of the school with, with sort of senior leadership teams and with uh, social workers and stuff like that so I, that really gave me a good grounding of what schools are like because sometimes you are oblivious in PE because you, mm. kids tend to like PE they tend to gravitate towards it and you don't see the rest of the, the bigger picture sometimes yeah so what, what size is the school that you're in just now or is that an all boys school yeah. Yeah, it's an all-boys school, and it's about 600. 
Six hundred. Okay. Yeah, how, how, many, how many members of staff is there? Like P members of staff? Three. So me and two others. Right. Okay. And we are stretched. We we do, <laughs> we do everything. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Have you got a lot of certificate classes? Have you got one each? Oh yeah. So I I have uh, uh I have two. We've got six in like two Yeah, we've got six in total. I've actually got three, and we're talking about yeah, I've got three, and then the other two members of staff, one's got two, and then one's a like a ECT, so it's his first year training, so he's got one. Okay. Um, so okay. Yeah, I've got three GCSE class, year nine, year ten, and year eleven. Busy, busy timetable. No. I know, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, I did. I did say uh, maybe you should give the training to two year nines and let me have two because I'm, I'm quite busy. But no, mm. people don't. Uh, anyway, <laughs> won't go into that. <laughs> Right, more diving right into it then. Could you, you can on to speak to us a bit about um, non-linear pedagogy tonight. Could you give us and the listeners a wee bit more insight into what that actually is and the kind of main principles behind it? Yes, so I, I discovered it non-linearly, to be honest. I was, I was looking around for like um, curriculum ideas and I, I just had this burning question of, okay, why do I teach the way I teach? Um, mm. And I didn't really know why. I think most of it was because that's how I was taught or... That's how my um, my training year went. So I kind of just wanted to find out some stuff for myself, and, and I stumbled across this nonlinear pedagogy. And it's not, it just sounds interesting. It sounds like, okay, what the hell is that? That sounds a bit different. So the, the premise is that if learning is a nonlinear process, then we probably need some principles to help guide that. Because you guys will know when you teach a class one lesson and you go back to teaching another lesson, it's it's really um, predictable. It's really like you import and say, okay, I'm going to do A, B, and C, and you know what's going to happen afterwards. And you're always surprised, aren't you, in PE teaching? Because, and that's just the nature of people. We're, we're complex beings. And one thing that works really well with one class shouldn't yeah. really work with another class because it's a completely different context. So the, the five sort of principles around non-linear pedagogy, and I'll try and go through and give sort of examples of what that might look like. So the first one is around, um, and again, yeah, I need to be clear because we're talking here about motor learning behavior so look talking about technical skill really we're talking about the physical domain i think you guys in your curriculum from right you, you've got four domains quite explicit in your curriculum mm-hmm. whereas in the, in the uk ours is really really broad and it's like you can it's basically basically all around compet- competitive sport sustaining physical activity so it's mainly the physical there's not much reference but um but non-linear pedagogy is, is based around the physical so how we, how we perform skills, but I think there's some byproducts that the other domains could, can tie in, but I'll, I'll talk about them. So first one is called representative learning design, and that's basically designing activities that are real learning environments. So if you're designing an activity for football, for example, it would make sense to have some of the things that are in a game that are going to be in your practice. Um, so it's not a dig, but like if you're having loads of mannequins and cones, uh, that's not representative of what the game is really like because people move, um, people stick their foot out, someone grabs your shirt as they're trying to run past you. Like there's all these little nuances that happen in certain games and activities that are specific to that game. So it's about trying to keep it maps as most as possible to what you what's the end product. So if we say the football match is the is the exam, try and keep as much of that information as you can. But obviously with your school and with different abilities, that's that's not always feasible or not always suitable to keep it completely representative. So if we said 10 out of 10 was the game would be the highest representative, you can kind of work along the scale there of where you see you could fit in. So, so one might be completely not representative and having just you um, passing the ball against a wall, for example. Mm-hmm. But um, Ian Renshaw talks about this really well. If, if that's all you have, then there's nothing wrong with doing that. But if you're on lockdown and you've got a ball in a wall, it's not the ball against all day long, but I think in PE we can be a little bit more um, representative in our learning design. So that's the first one. And then that leads on to if um, this relationship between information and movement. So when we talk about information from like a, a non-linear pedagogy point of view, it's, it's not just, okay, me telling you something, but it's actually all the things around you that can guide your behavior. So a call from your teammate guides your behavior. Yeah, and I'll use football most of the time. That's all right because it's just easy for me. That's my, that's my easy. Too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, so all that information. So the wind, for example, like it's so often we'll I do a lesson and it's a really wet, sticky day, 
and you see people punching the ball into each other and like and they know that the other teammate can't control it and they're carrying on doing it so they're not actually attending to the information but it's about the information being coupled to movement so you your information guides your movement and then the movement will guide your information that you find because the more you move and the more you explore is more information you find and it's a continuous cycle they should always be together um there's a little bit of theory around the theory of affordances and i can talk about that maybe later but that i think that might be too much for now uh, third one is so is if people on the podcast have probably heard of constraints led approach so it's the idea of manipulating constraints and um carl neil who's a professor he come up with a constraints model where behavior is sort of um it emerges based on the task, the person or the organism uh, and the environment. So those three things work together and they interact to cause um, uh, behaviours or emergent movements to happen. So an example would be, um, so let's say stair climbing as a silly example. Okay, So the way that you navigate those stairs will be completely different compared to your grandparents would navigate those stairs because they've got different physical ailments, um, they're so bodies different the environment is like different for them so they can their interactions are completely different based on that person so that would be a constraint for them that their physical work constraints if any of you guys have played football recently and you're you know you wake up the next day and you're a bit achy you definitely navigate the stairs a little bit different to the yeah. <laughs> when you're coming down in the morning when you when you sprint down you forgot your boots and you're running out so it's just that interaction between the task what you're trying to do um so is, that like, is, that like, is that like differentiation then? Like if you've got a task to plan for your class based on who's in front of you, you would alter the task then to make sure everyone can succeed? Is that... hundred It's even... It's not even altering the task. It's the fact that everyone is going to find a solution that's suitable to them yeah. because they're individual and because the environment is going to offer different things to different people and also yeah, the makes, task is... I think, it's, it's, I think so, that's... It's kind of like... I like to use the example of like, say like a golfer and stuff like it's, it's one thing yeah. given like kids and stuff like that, the, the ideal technique on how to do something, right? But it's not really a one size fits all because you've get, get the likes of, like there's, a, I don't know the golfer's name, but he's got like a little twirl and stuff like that at the top of his swing before he hits the ball and you've got the likes of Bryson DeChambeau and all the... And Is it not a Colin Cleland? Colin Clare, that's my dad, by the way. He's <laughs> <laughs> good, good at golf. But no, I suppose that, that does make sense though because... Um, People are going to do things differently. And yeah, and, and Louis, achieve the you same this, goal. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head because the next principle is, is something called functional variability. So normally when we teach PE, we want to, like you say, conform towards a certain solution. So this is how you do a football lofted pass, or this is how mm -hmm. you take a basketball set shot. So we're trying to get them to come onto this narrow path that we've got. Um, but what nonlinear pedagogy would, would sort of... Um, advocate for is that there's many ways to skin a cat so we should use that variability and it's not to say that a variability means you literally go off and do like if again if we use that scaling and say there's a hundred things you could do and you go off and practice and learn all hundred now it's actually about using the manipulation of constraints so changing a lesson plan so there is room for exploration and variability um but it's not completely wide open because otherwise you Firstly, it's health and safety. You don't want it to be completely hit wide open so people get, get themselves hurt. But yeah. you want to give people another opportunity to find what's sort of functional for them. And variability is a really good thing because you need to be adaptable in any activity you do. Like, you need to adapt to the opponent, you need to adapt to the conditions. So if we are just kind of sort of conforming towards one goal swing, like you've, you've said that example, what about when they're in a different, completely different situation, different life. Even the idea of like, so the environment is not just the, um, the physical, it's actually, this is the last shot, I need this shot to win the championship. Mm -hmm. That's an environment constraint because it's, it's pressure, it's emotion, it's Situation. social. Exactly, yeah. And I think one thing I've really noticed in school about is social constraints that are probably the biggest pull, pull factor on kids and pupils. Like I'll see pupils pass to their mate 20, 20 times out of 20 just because it's their mate and because their mate's called for it. So that's not anything to do with like game understanding. That's just a pure social constraint of like, right, that's 100%. the biggest attractor. Yeah, that's the yep. biggest attractor, not because I should look over my shoulder and see who's behind me, I should look and see there. Actually, my mate's called for it, so I better pass it to him. Yeah. He's gonna have a go at me at understanding. Great, do you know what I mean? That's true though, because they value that social approval more than anything else, like no matter what we say, yeah. um, what you've taught them or what want them to do, that will always kind of rise to the top, I think. 
hundred percent. Yeah, and that's one thing I've sort of been exploring with this. That's what I've noticed the, the most. So yeah, going back to that functional variability, functional is a key word because it means that it still um, achieves the outcome. Yeah. Um, and then the last one, which is um, a principle, it's not it's not necessarily a non-linear pedagogy principle. It's a principle of motor learning. So it's an external focus of attention. So as a teacher, you might say um, to focus on the outcome of the, the movement rather than the actual body parts that are being used. So you might say uh, an, an example of a, an analogy that's used in basketball might be um, knowing you release the ball the, and flick your wrist at the end. Instead of talking about a wrist, you might say to people, uh, pretend you're reaching up to put your hand into a cookie jar. So they've got not focusing on their hand and their body, they're focusing on the movement. And it kind of frees up some of um, that. Con- so it's not like a conscious decision to do that movement. It's actually allowing the body to, what, what the research would say, would be self-organized. Um, so that's that. But, but there's a caveat with that because if you're a novice and you've not done some activities before, it could be useful for you to understand what the body might need to do. So if you're learning a new thing from the beginning, you kind of still might want to use internal focus. So talk about the body, but then you might want to switch it up moving on mm. to an external focus as well so yeah hopefully that's not been a uh, too heavy but um some of some of the examples hopefully bring that to life i definitely i think that's um I, that was a really good explanation of each of them and i take it when obviously trying to apply this it's just about taking those principles into consideration when you're doing your your lesson planning i suppose 100 percent. and a key thing as well is like you don't have to be like okay i need to do my rep design some of these things will interlink anyway so if you're looking at information and movement coupling and keeping things uh, and representative learning line they're kind of intertwined because if you want something to be representative of the activity the end product which is say to perform in a game then you need to keep the information that's going to be in the game still there but again what you need to do now because you're working in schools and especially for p teachers that some pupils are going to be novices you need to simplify the tasks but not decontextualize it Mm-hmm. So still keep the information there. So let's say the information could be an opponent. Still keep an opponent there, but don't decontextualize it where you make the opponent a mannequin or a cone. Maybe you just give more space. So mm-hmm. then they've got four seconds before they get tackled rather than one second. So there's still the, the opportunity to be tackled. So the information's there, but it's just giving them more time to practice it. And then you can start mm-hmm. to build from there. So task simplification for me is one of the, the most important one because that's how we can keep things authentic and real but still allow people to access it yeah um, and then uh, the last one sorry, task would be scaling equipment so, so i don't know if you guys have talked badminton before but i just haven't and stuff we've done before so having short rackets to match match the pupils that you've got just helps them out to still be able to play the game or version of the game but it's just scaled down to their own um, to the side and you probably see that with age grade rugby, age grade football, and so mm-hmm. forth. But, um, yeah, I think quite a lot of things that have emerged from the podcast as well, and I think it's something that I didn't really um, pay much attention to was, or maybe I was always really guilty of it, is trying to achieve like the full version of all the games when I'm teaching them by the end of it. But really, you can like you don't need to have taught like a what's is it year sevens at the first year in high school for down south. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like an S1 um, class in, in Scotland. Like you don't need to have achieved the full version of the game by the end of a unit of work. It can be like a modified version of the game as long as it's still, like you say, it's something relative. It's got some of the same concepts and principles and stuff in the game. Definitely. Yeah. I'd even say, goes as far as to say that, and, and this has caused me some trouble, because I actually don't think kids need to play the adult version of the game. Like, yeah. I've got a bit of a theory that the adult version of the game was never intended for, for young children. So mm-hmm. if I take rugby as a fun example, of all the rules, like if you was designing rugby now for young children, you, you probably wouldn't have half the stuff that's in, in the adult game. You just wouldn't design that. So it's not, it's not to say that they can't play it, because they can. But I think modified games should be partly the go-to in school. Yeah, and then I think you can use modified games as kind of like a donor sport to go into the adult to, to different yeah. versions of the game. But for some groups, there's no point in us teaching you how to rock and to more and and stuff like that. It, it, you're not going to get anything any benefit from that. You're just yeah, going to fail for three or four time. We're not going to spend. We can't spend loads of time in it because of the curriculum's going to define that. So so why try and sort of flog a dead horse? Um, and I've had a really interesting disagreements with, with with people around this because they're like, well. Yeah, but they need to learn the game. But if you go back to your values of PE, 
Like what are we actually trying to achieve? Are we trying to teach athletes? Are we trying to train athletes? Or are we trying to sort of foster that that want and that sort of um not yeah, the want to want to be physically active over the lifespan. And I think if, yeah. if your process of trying to flog the full version of a game for five years puts someone off the game, which it, which it does, and the research tells us that from it mm-hmm. does put some people off the game, then why are you doing it? Yeah, and, and the because we've, because we've always done it. But if you just if you had modified games for five years and people enjoyed them and, and they felt good about themselves about it, then I think you've you've done a good job in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the purpose is, is is to develop enough fundamental movement skills and the knowledge of the game so they can at least access the modified game. That would be the the ideal scenario, wouldn't it? Because I think I think that the only pushback from that you might have is there will be a handful of people that want to they the want to just move, they want to just move on to the full game because they've seen it on TV or they're very very competitive and sporty. So, but as you said, that's I suppose that's, that's, that's when that's you can challenge. That's again. probably you're just speaking to a small group and not the whole class. Yeah, no, I definitely have that as well. When I do lessons, some lessons, and say, oh, can we play a full-size game? And a, and a full-size game in, in my context would be 15 a side because I don't want anyone standing off because so there's 13 a class. And I say to them, okay, so how do you plan to do this? And then they say, okay, yeah, we play 11 a side. Okay, that means I've got 22. I've got eight people sitting off. Uh, yeah, I said, do you, do you want to be sub? No, no, I don't want to be sub. I want to play. So, like, okay, so why don't we play a game where everyone can play? So we play yeah. eight a side, we'll play yeah. nine a side. And then I think once you have that conversation, um, they kind of, they get it. It makes it makes sense. And you know what? Sometimes we will do 11 a side. I think there's nothing. I'm not like against full side versions of the game, not at all. But I just feel with some groups, if you are, let's say, I don't know if you have like um, settings, so, so mixed ability groups or settings. Mm. You have mixed, mixed. Yeah, so we've mixed some, some groups. You just think this game is not really suitable for you. And I'm going to try and teach this unit of work to, to help you learn this game, which you're not going to learn because you're not going to have enough time to learn it. Um, yeah. So why are we doing it? Let's find a game that actually suits your needs. And, and that's why I really like nonlinear pedagogy because you are starting with the learner as your basis for your, your planning. You're not just starting with, okay, this is the scheme of work. This is the, the curriculum we need to go through. No, brilliant. Thanks for sharing your, your insights and your kind of experience on, on using that. So we're going to move on to my next question then. So in your experience as head of PE, um, or your PE lead, PE lead role, what do you see as the main challenges facing our subject currently and how do you think we should we could potentially overcome them? Yeah, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a big question because there's there's so much out there, especially in, in Twitter. I think there's two worlds in PE. There's the Twitter PE world and then there's mm-hmm. the, the, the probably the majority of PE world because not every PE teacher uses Twitter. Like I use Twitter a lot. I engage in it a lot. But when I speak to people in my board, I don't think they really do engage in it as much as, as most people would think. Twitter's so great. Twitter's yeah. great, I love it. It's got so much, yeah, no, I, you, you learn a lot from it. Oh, 100%, you learn a lot. But I have a caveat with Twitter as well, is because there's so much out there. So I think the biggest like threat is, I don't know if threat's the right word, but I think the biggest issue is there's so much information on what PE should be, yeah. Um, what PE could be. And if you're not really sure and you find that you latch and, and I did exactly the same thing you latch on to things but you forget to attend to actually what's going on around you and start to, instead of finding your own way of how, how things could be so I think we really need to just have it in our minds as a, as a practitioner like what are our values what are we actually trying to achieve via our curriculum what are we actually trying to achieve on a daily basis what is the big end goal that we are trying to achieve knowing full well we probably won't get there but if we fall short, then the majority of people are going to be going to be able to, to carry on and leave our school and feel like, actually, if I talk, spoke about PE in my school, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I carried on some things. I didn't carry some other things, but uh, I've got a good idea of where I might be able to go and do and be healthy and be active. Yeah. So I think that's good. I don't know that's if that answers good. the question. No, that's, that's good. That's good because I think if you're on Twitter and you're, as you said, latching on to things, then you might end up if you're not sticking to your values and your beliefs, you can end up getting pulled in all different directions. And as a leader, then that's not going to be showing um, consistency, I suppose, when yeah. you're working with others. Mm-hmm. That's good. No, I, I, and, uh, going back to values as well, like you, you have your values and you have your sort of aims and objectives of what you want to set out. And there's multiple things you can do. I'm not saying like 
you should find your store and stick with it and just buy on that hill. But I do think if you've got a general direction where you want to go, then you'll find things that, so that's with your podcast, there were like three or four different podcasts that they're different in terms of content, but they are still aligned with like how I see things. So like the lesson study one, that for me is like, that should be just rolled out in schools as a, a way of observing because the way you observe in schools at the moment is terrible. Someone walks in for five minutes, says that's good or says that's crap and then they walk up. Uh -huh. Sorry, can I say it? Ah, that's right. Hello, hello. I can, there's uh, just no, so, no, no, so much no, no. stigma attached to like your lesson yeah. observation and stuff like that, isn't it? You just yeah, feel yeah. Like, uh, it's stress. It's stress. Someone's observing uh, me. Oh, I know. I better start doing A, B, and C. And it's just uh, like, your behavior just changes subconsciously, yeah. doesn't it? Like you start acting differently. And I feel like the kids and all that realize this. And you're like, what's even happening here? But well, I think if, if us three were sat here and said, you know what, I, wanna, I really want to try this out. And Lewis, you said, I want to try nonlinear pedagogy. And I said, okay, me and Clark will come and have a look and see what, see what the kids do. Uh -huh. And then we plan something together. You have a go of it. I have yeah. a go of it. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, mate. Sorry. No, on, you go. I missed it. Go on. What did you say? No, I was going to say. He's, he's, he's trying to get a dig in. Yes, this is his classic. <laughs> so he's found the key moment. So we'll give him his, his moment in the light. He just wants to try his non linear pedagogy. He needs to put the mannequins away. <laughs> you know what Clark I was going to say yeah, if Lewis messes it up then we can just learn from him don't we yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll go to him first yeah get rid of your mannequins Lewis <laughs> they're going to the bin tomorrow no sorry Mo what, what were you saying there I spoke over the top here no 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 I was just saying like I think um, yeah we, the, the way right we observe for learning in PE is not really is not great, and that's not learning PE. I think that's just education in general. Yeah. Um, I can't even remember the, the thread. I just got um, Lewis's no. mannequins in my head now. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've got um, we've got Paul and Mike coming back on in a couple of weeks to talk about yeah. a new project they've got up and running as well. So they might uh, go on to talk about a little bit more about lesson study as well and uh, different things. So. It's just trying to get these things rolled out in schools, but isn't it? It's actually just trying yeah. to it's trying to take action because I feel like we're so no. good at just. But it's just like you get so much inspiration and you get so much buzz about these chats and all that, and then the next day you're like, all oh, right, like what happens now? It's just trying to get yeah. one step at a time. Do you know what I mean? Because you can get all these great yeah. ideas, but it's a lot. I think that's the biggest. Um, I think if your original question was around like what. What's the threat? Was it not threat to people? Challenges, just challenges. That challenges. That, yeah, mate, that is the biggest challenge. And I've, I've really felt it like firsthand, like just being like told that I'm talking absolute rubbish or this is not, this is not going to work. And actually been absolutely hammered for it as well. And then, so I'm trying to like bring something from research into to practice. And, and also, like you say, try and make it work within a real context, not just um, uh, a randomized control study that's got, 18 university students in the study. I'm actually trying to do it with 34 kids on a field that has got no grass on it. Um, and I'm not saying we've got terrible facilities, but like that's the reality of what, we're, what teachers yeah, are dealing with. And, 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 so, and then you're running across the playground because you just come from, from teaching theory. But I think that's the biggest thing is educating like other stakeholders. So educating your head of department, educating your senior leadership team that there is a wealth of stuff out there that we could try. And give us the time to try it. Like mm -hmm. no one's, if no one's gonna, like no one's gonna get hurt and get harmed, then what have we got to lose to try yeah. out this new way or this different way that, that actually is not really new or different. It's just been parked in 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 sort of the, the journals and stuff and, uh -huh. and parked in other places. So yeah, that's the biggest challenge is that is people giving you the space uh, to try and try new things, like, to try and influence something. Because I feel as if you're, you can be limited. Sometimes you always say you can go back in the next day and. You've got all that inspiration, but as a just as a classroom teacher, what impact can you? I think I, have? I also think like department meetings and stuff like that should have more of a focus on like like what we're speaking about just now and actually discussing how we can actually take the like our own teaching and the learning of the pupils or the students forward. Um, because I feel like every time I've I chatted about things like this, it's it's one thing having inspiration, but then putting it into action. But I think it's also important that we do it like within your department, you do it as a staff. So you have these meetings, you plan it together. So um, we, everybody has that shared understanding of what's happening and how we're going to be like teaching this unit of work or whatever, so that um, 
we can mm-hmm. chat about it and develop it and make it better because a lot of the time when we've been planning stuff it's all been done individually so we've got a completely different perception on how something should look and how something should be planned and delivered and there's not a shared understanding of it at all and I think that's so important so that it gets done gets done well no. now. 100%, 100% I, I agree with you and from my experience so I started reading a lot I uh, started like planning a lot by myself and I realised I really need to bring the two members of staff with me uh, and, not, and I don't mean when I say bring them with me I don't mean drag them with me but I need to kind of it's a bit like you start to use the, the, the pedagogy to drip feed some stuff and to la- allow them to explore at their own time uh-huh. And this is something that um, like Carl Woods really talks about a lot. And I, I join his work a lot um, in terms of like learning with and not just learning from. So just because I'm head of department and I'm, I'm in a position where I can dictate the curriculum. Uh-huh. But it's not point me joining up this massive curriculum plan and it's all fit in my head if the two people who are the majority of the department are not even with me. So, yeah, what I try to do is like, especially over lockdown, we just have conversations and, and really we, we just dug into, okay, what does a good PE department look like and then I can start to see where we had, we had some lot of similarities and then we just start to drip feed stuff and what ends up happening is people start to find their own sort of niche and find their own little bits of like oh actually I found this which is similar to that and and just let them explore and give people wow. the, the freedom to say, Look, just go over play with it see what happens what and, and we've got a whatsapp terrible we talk every day <laughs> like the whatsapp group does not stop going sometimes I was on the, the whatsapp group to 11 o'clock last night and that's not, I'm not advocating for people to do that. But if you have that kind of connection with people in your department, then you can kind of just like, so I'll send the podcast here and there. I've sent your ones a couple of times. I'll send a blog post here and there. Mm-hmm. But it's up for people to, to, it's not like you must do this. This is on the... Um, yeah, just on sharing the, it. Yeah, yeah this is like, what do you think of this? What does that look like for you? Yeah. And, and also letting people have their own story. So if you notice things in your lesson, then you can probably think when you've noticed things in lessons where people have... Um, have done things and it's not been in proportion so they a small little change and all of a sudden something's just clicked and they're they're now flying and you think oh, actually that's the that's the hook isn't it when you see something that you can relate to definitely, definitely. I, think, I think it's like when you've got that kind of drive and desire to improve things as well i'm sure in your role you wouldn't want to like burn your staff out as well by constantly having all this new way of working sometimes it's post-covid as well you want them to you know get work in their own way as well. It can be just trying to find that balance, I suppose, is it? Yeah. No, 100%. And that's exactly what I did with, with clubs. Like I had someone say to me, okay, why are you not, you, you've got three mornings where you've not got clubs on. Why have you not got clubs on in the morning? I said, because I want my staff to be okay. Yeah. Because I want my staff to, to feel okay. And I know how stretched they are already. Yeah. So it's just little things like that. I've taken, okay, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm planning that into the situation. Not like just get as much as we can get out of your squeeze break you in two because you won't get back together again if we break you but yeah yeah really easy but I think and then I, I won't speak for them but I do get I get the gist that they appreciate that so then when when I am talking to them about other stuff they're, they're open to it because they know why we've, we've had that chat like you said Lewis we've got that shared understanding of yeah what we're trying to do so anything I'm trying to do even if it does give them a little bit of extra reading or work they know the why uh, yeah. and, and, they're, and they're on board with that and they're involved in it brilliant Right, moving on to your, your wayfinding uh, exploits. I was reading your uh, blog um, and I found some of the points that you raised to be quite informative and thought-provoking uh, more. So would you be able to tell us a bit more about this exploit? And I know in that you were saying you, you know as you go when developing a PE curriculum. Have you got yeah. experience, experience then of like that, that way of working? Still, still, I'm still knowing as I go now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, yeah, so it's based on um, some, some work by Carl Woods and James Rudd who, who, and other colleagues as well, apologies for the, the other, other people in the paper, um, but it's this idea of, I think like we spoke about earlier, like you've got a destination in mind, so okay, let, I'm coming up to Glasgow, but you could stick it in the sat-nav and just go straight, or you could get on the train and just go straight and, and not really pay attention to what's around you, and you can miss so much. Mm-hmm. So in terms of, of, of wayfinding, it's not just going from A to B as quick as possible. It's actually attending to what's along the path, and, and the, the process and the journey is is as important as if, if anything is the only thing, because the destination is, is is somewhere you want to get to, but you'll never ever stop. It's always ongoing. So for me, with, in terms of wayfinding for a curriculum, it's gone from like looking at S and C to looking at the youth physical development model 
to looking at now non-linear pedagogy, looking at ecological diet. It's, it's just going off on different tangents here and there, but it's paying attention to something new that comes up and okay, not necessarily going completely off the path, mm-hmm. but how does this, what I've found here, fit into the, the, the other side of where I, was, where I was going to? So knowing as you go, the way I see the curriculum is, is like this. I try to do like a, um, like a network. So if, let's say, for example, you've got eight lessons um, and you're going to do football and in week one, you're going to do passing, week two, shooting. Would that be something that you'd see normally in the scheme of work for you guys? Yeah. Yeah. So my, my way finding in terms of a curriculum would be like, well, how do I know what they need to go on to unless they've done it? So I don't, I can't attend to that until I know. So what we had is uh, for our curriculum was principles. Instead of having, because, because, because I don't want it to be decontextualized, I don't want it to be passing week one, dribbling week two, and then by the end of the unit of work, let's piece all that back together and see if you come up with a performance. That's not going to happen. It, it just doesn't happen. So I've tried to do it in the principles. So let's say, for example, an invasion game, creating space as a principle. That will transfer across every invasion game. So even though yeah. you, throughout five years you, you've done you've done basketball, you've done football, you've done rugby, you've, mm-hmm. the idea of creating space is there's continuity. That's my idea. So as a teacher, I would say if you two were in my department, I'd say here are the principles for the invasion game. You start with gameplay so you can observe and see where people are, see what you've got, maybe make some some uh, observations about who you're sort of who's coordinating who's still a little bit un, um, struggling in terms of the game and then you might even actually well actually that game doesn't suit well i change the game for them and then you've got the principles and lewis you might say i'm going to start here because from what i've seen i think i'm going to start with creating space that would be a good place to go and clark you might think i'm going to actually i'm going to start with um uh, maintaining possession because i think that might be a good place for us to go and then whatever happens after that you decide where the next step would be. So you're yep. knowing as you go because you have an art, you're using, basically you're using what's in front of you to decide where to go in the curriculum as yep. opposed to a linear step-by-step model. So do, so, so do you think it is more kind of like just ha- get, having a better understanding of a starting point rather than having a concrete plan in place? I feel like because... I suppose you could spend ages and ages having like key details and stuff in your lesson plans and everything like that in a full block of work, but very, very rarely can you stick to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you need to have a framework. Aye. Like I'm not saying like, yeah, you just go off and do it, but so the framework's there. So let's say there's six themes, and again, I'm just talking about an invasion. You, you, you'd have, we're just hitting one domain here because I'm just yeah, talking yeah. about it, yeah. sort of skills, but yeah, you, you'd have a framework, but the framework shouldn't be rigid because mm-hmm. students are complex the schools are complex like for example I've, I've been doing fitness and um we're just going i'm just facing a lesson on each component of fitness for the year eights at the moment so cardiovascular endurance was on the scheme of work to go next i looked i walked across the plane i'm like actually it's lunchtime i don't want to be doing cardiovascular endurance after i've just eaten yeah 10 minutes ago that's not going to work so i did something so i changed it up but if I was to be observed, it'd be like, okay, well, the scheme of work says your week three you should be doing fitness or you should be cardiovascular endurance. Why are you doing strength and stability? Well, I'm doing strength and stability, but that's the right thing to do at the right moment in time. And, and teachers will probably think, listening, thinking, yeah, I, I do that all the time. I never follow the scheme of work. But we don't really, like, I, what I try to do is have it actually on paper and say, okay, here is the framework. Um, and what you have at the end of it would be like a network. So, Lewis, yours will look different to mine. And like you said, there was that little meeting of the, the department, we sit together and we go, okay, why did you go here and why did you go there and reflect on it? And you might say, well, I went there, I went there, I went there, and what did you find? And then that's for the next, to help you plan the next unit of work that you move on to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. It's, I, yeah, it's, just having, yeah. it's, it's having that flexibility, isn't it? But you're still operating within a, a boundary, yeah. I suppose. It's different yeah. for every class as well. 100%. Just, just yeah. said, based on what's in, you're almost just teaching what you see. And you're caught yeah. formatively assessing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you need you need that toolbox to be able to do that because you can't just go in and be like, Yeah, let's just see what happens and, and, and off the cuff. It is yeah. it takes it is difficult to do. You have to have a good understanding of the games so you can manipulate yeah. constraints. You need to have a really good understanding of your class. Yeah. You need to use your class to co design because you need to get information from them because it's not just about your perceptions. But it can get it totally wrong sometimes. You look at a pupil who's not touching the ball, not getting involved, not interested. And then you speak to them and say, oh, no, I'm standing out here because the space is here, but no one's getting the ball to me. 
So it's a completely yeah. different um, way of thinking because you're, you're involving them. But it's not easy to do, and I found it really difficult um, to do it consistently because you just don't get the time to practice. Yeah, I because sure. sometimes I suppose it's uh, down to the experience of the teacher as well, based on the pedagogy and stuff that you're using. Like it's. Mm-hmm. I suppose you've got to play to your strengths, but then again, you've got to start somewhere if there is more effective ways of working. And nice. Well, any yeah. any final comments in or observations on the the curriculum at your school? What's what's the curriculum like for the kind of younger ones? Do you cover fitness, football? Yeah. So so we, what we t- what we tried to do for year seven, starting off, was the first two weeks is orienteering, and the idea around that was. Um, to have them to navigate the school, so them to get to know where all the parts of the school are. So, so for, for example, we might say go to the old sports hall, but they don't know what that means because they've not been here before. So we, we mm-hmm. put all those sort of like, you know those little places where you might say, oh yeah, go to that D block or whatever like that. Yeah. So we put all those places around the walk, go to the water fountain, the DT block. So we, the first two weeks was all about navigating the school, so they got to know the area. Um, and then we, we, we are quite traditional to be honest. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say like we do anything extra extra different so we're doing embracing games we're doing netball games um but initially I, I tried to incorporate cooperative learning and games making so i think did you have ash casey on as well yeah yeah so i spoke to ash and he, and he gave me some ideas around how you might do a unit of work of games making and it it worked really well um it worked well but then again with some pupils because of that sort of social and what they're used to they were like actually oh, i just wanted to do football or i just wanted to do this so there is always that the hope and the happening as Ash calls it as well, which I really like. So I hope these things would be really good. But it was what actually happened was some people really enjoyed the games making, uh, where they made their own games up. They had to. The idea was, like, say, cooperative learning was to cooperate with each other and to to work through those things. So it wasn't about the game necessarily; it was about working together. Um, and what I've tried to do, but it's not always been easy to do, and I probably won't be able to do it now because I'm going to leave. But is have a unit of work be able to lead out. And what I mean by that is, if we're just doing, for example, football in school, and then we're expecting it to transfer to real life outside and to keep people fit, I think we need to do a little bit more to educate people and, and take them out to where they could do it. So even if it's informal, going to the park, like I think our school should have every pupil visit a local park in the five years they're with us. Oh, yeah. And that's not to say that some of them don't do that. They do, but a lot of them don't. Like, there's, we've got a massive area of park. It's got like 200 deer roaming around it. This is bang in the middle of East London, and, and mm-hmm. I reckon 60% don't know about it. So, units of work can they lead out to the local environment? Because then, my idea is that you're actually attuned to. Okay, well, on the weekend, oh, I'm not sure what to do. You might say to your mom or to your dad, "Oh, actually, in PE, we went to this park. It's not too far. It's only around the corner. We mm-hmm. can go here." Um, and, and do something so yeah that would be my dream that PE would lead out and then you, I'd go to the park and I walk my dog and I take my son all the time and I see 30, 40 of our boys over the park playing whatever they wanted to play because I, they knew we educated them towards that sort of leading out mm-hmm. rather than saying learn all this in school and then go transfer it because that's not representative for me of a curriculum that is going to help you to lead out to your lifestyle we need to really um, and, and you can by bringing people in as well, I think that's great. Yeah, we've really tried to. Yeah, sorry, I've gone on there. You're all right, mate. You're all right. That's the first. That's the first sort of take we've had on that actually. Because you hear about um, putting them on the pathway to like different clubs and stuff like that out with. But that's the first time I've heard like about using actual pointing in the direction of like facilities, parks, and making use of all that sort of stuff. So no, it's definitely a valid point. But we don't do it. We don't do enough of that. We don't do enough of that because you need you need to like have so many consent for you need to have. Go through all yeah. the paperwork. How yeah. many, pu- you know how many really pupils know about Parkrun? How many pupils know about that? Well, yeah. And, and what's really interesting with, with consent forms and, and sort of bureaucracy and stuff like that is like, if I wanted to take fixtures out, I can take as many fixtures as I want. Like, I could take rugby teams on tour. I can do anything I want when it comes to fixtures. Mm-hmm. As soon as you say to the school, I'm going to take the whole of year seven to, to the, park. the local public, it becomes like, oh, it's like a sticking point. And you're thinking... You've been like I'm only taking them. It doesn't have to be every week. It yeah. could be once a term, like one big trip a term, where you just get off timetable. Like maybe it's last period. You take two members of staff who are meant to be teaching, and, and just educate them to their environment. And then, and then it becomes not a oh, this is a PE trip. This is actually like a whole school thing. Because uh-huh. physical education is and should be a whole school thing. It can't be the two hours. 
or whatever hours you have for your, for your class. So I think there's, and, and you could even do loads of stuff for that. You could go into those parks and talk about history. If, you, if, if they had history for your club, you could do whatever you wanted with it. Yeah, there's yeah. so many narratives of the local area um, that, you could, that you could explore. But I just think the way it is in the UK is, is if you were taking competitive teams, happy days. Like if you were taking 40 boys in a rugby tour to New Zealand, happy days. As soon as you start talking about taking a whole year group just to the oh. local park, it's like, ah, <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? And it makes, I suppose, yeah. it makes it more personal to them as well, doesn't it? Because it's their sort of, it's their environment, their local area, and stuff like that. That's that's uh, the idea, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're, they're, fine, <laughs> they're finding different ways to be active, so that's something that we can definitely push more. I think, um, yeah. moving forward as, as well in Scotland. So, thanks for sharing that with us, Mo. Appreciate it. And moving on to the last um, question of the main part of the. The podcast um, for tonight. In Europe, we've started adding this question in uh, towards the end just to get an idea of what you think a high quality PE lesson would look like. Yeah. In your opinion, Mo, what would the high quality oh, okay. PE lesson look like? Yeah, this is this is a tough one. I've heard people answer this one, and definitely uh, I'll cop out on some of it as well because it's it's it is context dependent. But I think um, if people are challenged. And when I say challenge, it doesn't mean that you're beasting them and they're uh, doing a Cooper one or they're doing, they're doing like a sprint. But if they're challenged and the challenge is sort of personal, meaningful to them, then I think you're in a good space. I'm not saying you're, it's going to be high quality all the time, but I think if people are, feel like they've got a challenge and it's meaningful and it's personal to them, that they're going to be engaged. So it's, it's a sport and physical activity is never like, it's not all good. It's not all fun and, and, and you know what I mean, and laughter. But if we can find people who find that challenge point at that just right point for them, for each individual, then I think you're in a really good space to, to help people to find sort of value and meaning and want to take it on. So they want to come into the P department and say, can we do this? Can we do that? Rather than you've got to do this. You have yeah. to do that. So I think for me, a high quality P lesson is one where people feel they are personally challenged and it, there's, some, there's some meaningful aspects in it for them. Now, that's easier said than done. People might think, okay, well, how do you do that for 30 pupils? But I think you, what you do is you, you, you plan in opportunities for people to have some autonomy. So you, you, you talk to pupils with student voice and you get some, a gauge a little bit of what people are thinking uh, and you give up people opportunities to, to, to choose. And if you're using, for example, um, non-linear pedagogy, that, that's why I like it because it gives you the opportunity. Like you, you have to give people the opportunity to find solutions because that's... The whole premise of it is that everyone's an individual and their interaction with the environment is key. So mm -hmm. not our interaction, not what my interaction thinks you should be, but your interaction is key. So giving people a bandwidth to explore and, and letting them have that opportunity to do it, that would be good for, for me in terms of high quality with some PA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that's a really good point that you made about challenge because I don't think there's enough... I don't think the kids that we work with just now anyway are enjoying like the challenge I think I think all the kids in PE just now are just not coping with it in, in, in some yeah. in some respects in some classes I don't know if it's just because they're coming back into this routine and because we just moved back to using changing rooms just now or as of this week oh yeah and I yeah just trying to get back to the whole routine and standards it's it's been a real challenge for them but one in which I wouldn't even wouldn't, wouldn't even say the majority are coping with um and even the physical yeah. demands you put on young people these days, I wouldn't say, I would say it's going down. The, the kind of, well, in, terms of in terms of resilience and stuff I, like that. Yeah, but it's your job to challenge them as well, as mm. what I was saying. But I think the kids don't think that that's their job sometimes. Uh, it's like, uh, I yeah. think I... Yeah, but I there you go. No, so I was going to say, I wonder if, if, obviously with the context that you guys have got, we're coming back to, to new routines and... and yeah, it's been. It sounds like you've, they've been out of that sort of environment for a while. It's not been the same sort of environment. So I wonder if, if the challenge point that you're trying to get to, and correct me if I'm wrong, is if you're trying to get back to where you were, maybe that challenge point is no longer valid anymore. It's not no. the same. You know what I mean? It's not. You're, you're not got. The, you've got the same kids, but you haven't got the same kids. Yeah. You're in the same space, but you're not in the same space. The space is never static. It's never still. It's dynamic. Yes, it's constantly so it's actually changed. And if you're attuned to that, and you're, you, it sounds like you are because you're hearing that. Right, 
actually there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. So then something needs to, it needs to, there needs to be a shift, it sounds like. But I don't know. I don't know yeah. your area of context. Yeah, no, definitely, it definitely makes sense. And I think in terms of like what you were saying more about making sure that everybody's challenged and it's personal, we had a guest on um, who was an XPE teacher like a while back, and he was saying like in every single one of your lessons, your number one goal should be, and this was obviously his own philosophy, and I, th- I think it's right as well, it should be to get around every, like there's no reason why you can't get around every single pupil and give them one piece of feedback, one piece of personal feedback every single pupil in that class yeah and even, even, just, even just smile at them as well even just Aye. show yeah. some sort of yeah, some sort of interaction or some sort of piece of feedback to make sure that they are um yeah. challenged i suppose that that's our job to do that but it's it sometimes can be hard in terms of time if you've got a class of 30 and things but it's something that you can strive towards and set yourself that personal target to to do that yeah i i think that's brilliant because it now if you can put it into your planning so it's a conscious thought of, okay, I'm actually doing this, but, and I'm not just doing this because um, someone's told me to do it, but I'm doing it because I want to engage with you. And yeah. like you say, even if, it is, even if it is just a thumbs up, there's no reason why, why you can't do that. And, and that's when you start to build stories and relationships. Like you guys will probably be similar to me. Like I, I know some things, some of the kids, and I'll have a chat with them two or three weeks later and say, how was that thing? And because you've, you've had that little connection somewhere else. Yeah. Or even sometimes I said it to a boy today. Actually, he, he took a shot at goal and it went wide. And he was just leaving to go to the next lesson. And I said, oh, "By the way, that shot just maybe think about shooting the opposite corner rather than shooting it at the near post." He's like, oh, "Okay, thanks, sir." So he he I didn't speak to him the whole lesson, but I had a uh, five second conversation with him as he left. And look, I don't know how he took that. He might have thought, "Okay, yeah, whatever, sir, thanks." Yeah. Or he might have thought, "Oh, you you did notice me." Yeah, you did see me. So, do you know what I mean? Sometimes you can't always do it in the moment, but yeah, take like the changing room is a great, a great opportunity to do it. Even walking past the playground the next, the day after. Oh, by the way, in PE the other day, he was fantastic. I didn't, I didn't get yeah. a chance to say it to you. Like that carries a massive weight because then they start coming up to you and gravitating around you again because they want to hear it again. Mm-hmm. But you, you're connecting. You're connecting. Yeah, I think that's good. I think I think what I was trying to say earlier with the challenge thing is. The mindset is important for each individual and the culture of effort that you create because if you're challenging the pupils, they need to see it as a positive that you're trying to push them and you're there to yeah. ultimately support them and and uh, yeah. make them make them better. But I think that then comes into the culture and the, that individual and how they respond to that. No, 100%. And one thing I've learned, I'm on a leadership course at the moment and the biggest thing I've learned from it is, is connection first. If you're connected with people then you can have those conversations. But if you're not connected with people, and when I say connected, I don't mean like, obviously we're connected now here, but we've, we've discussed some things and we've got some similarities. And we've kind of had some sort of stories where we've put, we've, our stories have weaved in together. So if you can connect with, with young people, with colleagues on a little bit more of a, an authentic level, then when you start to talk about these things, they carry a lot more feeling and, and sort of realness to them rather than me being teacher telling you you need to do a b and c mm-hmm. um so and and what you'll find as well is people start to seek you out to, to have those conversations so yeah, yeah connection for me is the is one of the biggest probably under understatement in terms of when you're doing your teacher training of like and I, and I know people sometimes say our oh, relationships it's not about relationships all the time but i promise you if you do not have some sort of connection yeah. Uh, that's a positive one with with young people, and this is from I've, I've coached football in like a stage where we had two boys come from two two groups rival gangs come to work together, and they had sixty of them, and because we connected them, we were able to get them to just come and train and play football, and they would never have gone from like Ilford the Barking to do football normally, mm-hmm. and it's not saying every every situation is like that, but the connection yeah. is so key, and I've always I've always carried that. Yeah, that's, a good way, that's a good way to finish off the uh, the main part of the episode then Mo thanks very much for sharing some insights there and experiences of uh, your experience in PE so great to great to chat there that's yeah thanks Luke. thanks Clark I appreciate it I hope I've uh, not, not waffled on for too long no it's been not good some really good um, key points and stuff that you've raised so it's been brilliant taking a lot from it um, but as always with our guests we finish off with a quick fire round of three questions so I'm going to fire them at you you ready? Yeah, go, go. Perfect. Right, number one, if you could have a giant billboard anywhere, what would it say on it? Uh, I was thinking about this. It would say, I'm a big, massive fan of Maya Angelou, so it would say, um, people will forget what you said, people will forget what you do, but they'll never forget the way you make them. 
Yeah. So that would be my. Uh, yeah. Love that. I love that quote as well. That Number, resonated with me. Definitely. Number two, which people or books have had the biggest influence on your life? Which people or books? Yeah. Yeah. So, so James Rudd, um, hundred percent, and then book. I think I actually think it's not a book. It's it's a journal paper, which makes me sound like a right dweeb. But it's a journal paper, and it's James's paper about education. P P leading now. So P instead of P being a uh, yeah P having the, the the idea of education is to lead out. So yeah, it's had a massive impact on my way of thinking and, and the way I'd like to work. PE, so it's called PE leading out. Uh, it's called an ecological approach to PE. I can send you the paper if you, if right. you want. Perfect, aye. That'd be good. Right then, final one. If you could sum it up then with three top tips, what would they be to the listeners right now to improve the quality of their teaching? Learn to learn is the first one. So could continue to learn and and, and really, really push yourself to... To, to just keep on learning. I know it sounds I've kind of repeating myself there, but I can't stress that enough. Um, don't assume that you know because you'll never know. Yeah. But just keep on learning. Um, second tip would be to don't be afraid to try things and don't be afraid to fail. Um, that's all part of the learning process as well. But th- don't be afraid to what people might say about what you're doing. Um, back yourself as long as you as long as you've got good intentions as long as you're not doing harm mm-hmm. then back yourself to have a go because uh, the worst case scenario is you get it wrong and you learn from it or the best case scenario is it, it, something really really works and you grow confidence from it uh, and the second one is to collaborate with like-minded people um, don't just be a, a sheep and follow don't just latch on to the, the next best thing that's got 100 likes or 500 likes like collaborate with like-minded people who suit your values because if they do suit your values, then number one, you'll be able to work with them because we all need someone to work with. But also they'll be able to, to critique you and sort of challenge you from a, from a positive place and not from a place yeah. of like, oh, well, that sounds crap. I'm not, why are you doing that? Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, I think like, mind, like collaborating is so important, but I think the, the key bit in there is, yeah, like you say, we're like-minded people. Um, I, that's where you get the like the you get the motivation and the bug to keep doing it and yeah. actually enjoy it, I suppose. But no more. That's exactly. absolutely fantastic. That's um, a, another very very valuable contribution to our Bobo podcast. So that's episode ninety. So ten away from the big century here. Um, yeah, so thanks nice. very much for giving up your time tonight and coming on and chatting with us. It's been fantastic. Oh, my pleasure, lads. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I've, uh, I like talking PE, as you can tell, so I'm happy to do it. And uh, thanks very much for having me on. And keep up the good work. It's, it's a quality resource. It's a good podcast. And you, you two guys make it what it is as well. So keep up the good work, lads. Yeah, thanks for the feedback, Moan. But uh, really nice to meet you. And remember, if uh, Rangers and West Ham get all the way in the final, we'll see you in Seville. Hey, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll invite you down to East London. We can have a drink. But, uh, oh, that'd be yeah, good. Definitely. Probably. That'd be good. Yeah. Cheers, lads. Cheers. Episode 90, Mr. Burrow, takeaway messages, strike again. What are your takeaway messages from tonight's episode with Mo Jaffer? Feels as if I'm on a striker and fielding unit here. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're back. We're back. Well, um, mine would be on units of work. If you could finish each block and try to take it into the local community so the kids can see the relevance of the curriculum. That would be mine. So if it was the end of a badminton block, take them to the Blandair Sports Centre, which is two minutes in my school, get them playing badminton in the local community. There's also a local park down the road as well. So if you're doing rounders, could you take them to the park and get them into teams, take the tees down? Just It's a different environment, as, as Mo was saying, and it gives them more of a competitive and hopefully enjoyable environment so they know how to access and use a local community. Mm-hmm. No, uh, nicely put. My takeaway message would be: uh, I like. Wait, I didn't even ask you yet. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you. Regardless, <laughs> right, so go for that. I don't need you to ask me because I knew it was coming. <laughs> go for it. Um, was on his way finding exploits. So I like, I liked what he says. How it's difficult to, like, there's no point in planning a, a unit of work going through, like doing passing, then shooting, then dribbling, then trying to piece it all together and get the game at the end of it. It's, um, it's not necessarily doesn't really work like that. 
So it's about trying to, it's almost like, not teach what, I suppose it's teach what you see, isn't it? So finding right, what where, comes up. Yeah, where your class are at, and then that steers the direction of what you do with them. And um, I think it, like, I think we are all, we can be guilty at times, like, of just doing, like, skills-based lessons and stuff, but it's very real. It doesn't happen like that. Let's be serious. It's There's too much that goes on within a game to just kind of isolate that one aspect of it, if you like. So it's trying to find ways, like you said, it can be, like, creating space, maintaining possession, all that sort of stuff. So there's different concepts that you can... That you, I suppose you could teach, and then that gives you a wee bit more flexibility within your learn, within your lesson to obviously love, teach. So you get a bit, a bit more flexibility within your lesson to teach, almost like what you see in a, a suitable direction for that class to go, um, based on like, what they're. I like that bit about the creating space, and maintaining possession, and obviously the first lesson's gameplay. Yeah, and just going between those <clears throat> different principles or attacking wide areas, whatever. Just cut with your principles rather than skill specific stuff. Yeah. Uh, because within that, transferable. Yeah, because within that, like if it is like on maintaining possession, like there's different ways in which you can maintain possession. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, you can create overloads. Yeah, you can pass to maintain possession. You can dribble to maintain possession. You can focus on your movement to obviously support your your teammates to maintain possession. Do you know what I mean? There's loads of different ways you can do it, and I suppose it's there's more things underneath that umbrella term of maintaining possession or that concept yeah. um, that you can do rather than just today we're doing the inside of the foot pass yeah and then go through this teaching points for the inside the of the foot pass was that absolute um, gobbledygook what I said there to summarise that or was it no it was absolutely makes, makes sense succinct hopefully it was it, it made sense for the people listening um, and it wasn't tend to go off on a tangent sometimes around the way of explaining things but hey we get there in the end there's more than one way into Rome. There's more than one way to skin a cat. Right, well, that's, um, I suppose that finishes us off tonight for episode 90 with Mo Jaffer on speaking about non-linear pedagogy, his wayfinding exploits in a blog that he wrote and basically has kind of insights into PE in general. So um, thanks again for listening and we'll see you again next week for, or we won't, we won't see you. But we hope you tune in to next week's episode. Absolutely. Episode 91. 91. Thanks again for joining us in this week's episode of the podcast. We hope you've been able to take something away that you can implement into your practice or life. If you regularly listen to the podcast, then why not leave us a review to let us know how we're doing and where we can perhaps improve. That way we can take action and further develop the Obo podcast. Until next time, we hope you have a fantastic week. Take care.